everybody. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, episode number 21. My name is Gabe Estel, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Jonathan Getz and Dennis Levi-Leach. How you doing, guys? Awesome. Rock and roll. Good deal. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Well, um, want to dive right in here. Uh, we have, we're a couple weeks into spring training now. Games have started. Uh, each team has played a handful of games. And I wanted to talk to the three of you about, on your respective team, who is the player that intrigues you the most? Now, this, in most cases, um, probably isn't going to be maybe the biggest name that they signed in the offseason or the biggest person they acquired via trade, but somebody you're just going to be keeping your eye on all year, um, maybe because they, they've struggled recently or there's a lot of potential that hasn't been reached, whatever, whatever the, the, uh, the criteria might be. Curious to hear what, uh, who you guys are keeping an eye on this year. So, Levi, what about you, man, over on, uh, over on the north side? Who yeah. do you got your eye on this year? Well, definitely this year, I think it's going to be my number one guy would be Junior Lake. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if he can turn it around just because he struggled last year quite a bit. And, um... Had had his Bo Jackson moments, snap some bats. You can go on YouTube and there's there's clips of them. And uh, so was I, it two years ago that he uh, he really came out of the gates swinging and and hitting some home runs? Was it at the end of the season two years ago? Yeah, or at the beginning of this last season. Oh, oh was it the, the beginning? Okay. Head, I, yeah, I think it was at the end. Of, it was the beginning of this last season. It was like right out of the gate, right when we brought him up. It was like it was like Greg was Jeffries. Awesome. Yeah, and so... Kevin Moss. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and in the meantime, since his arrival, we have brought up Jorge Soler. Mm-hmm. And so, he's almost like a, a carbon copy better version of Junior yeah. Lake, mm-hmm. if you look at them together. And so, it'll be interesting to see if he can... He can make his worth felt to where they keep him and he doesn't become like trade bait and to see what happens with him. But in a close second, I was going to say was Kyle Schwarber just because he's starting off as a monster. His uh, 22nd birthday was the other day and it was also the day of his first major league spring training at bat. His first first at bat, he hits a grand slam nice. on his 22nd birthday. Wow. So. Nice. Yeah, it'll be. I'm That's a guy to, to look see. forward to, but he he oh, yeah. won't be with the team at least for a year or two. Yeah. So, oh really? I'm curious yeah. to see how quickly they bring him up, um, because he he's a catcher, right? Yeah, and a lot of people say he's already in the three or four games that he's shown he's shown he's got some chops, you know, behind the plate. Yeah, but I mean, you guys are you guys are pretty deep on catcher right now. You we know? are, uh, which is a we good are. thing, you know. Who yeah. doesn't want to be? deep on catcher with Montero uh, Castillo and uh, so there's yeah there's not really unless you know maybe you have him play first base um, a lot of people for think Rizzo. he could be put to the outfield eventually oh really yeah so yeah. they're thinking corner infielder so okay yeah. Yeah, you're right, though. I, I, I feel like he needs to kind of incubate a little bit more in the minors, you know. Um, yeah, he's a, he just turned 22. Right. Yeah, just right out of college ball, too, you know. So. Yeah. 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 yeah, what's the rule of thumb that, that pitchers are usually ready to go out of college, but hitters usually need to spend yeah. more time in the minors? Yep. Mm-hmm. Generally yeah. speaking. Yep. Rodon says he's ready. Yeah. So he said in an interview yesterday, like he's ready. It's like get me so, on the bus. Yeah, yeah. Um we'll see how that he's not my intrigue intriguing player, but um 
he he was he was drafted. Schwarber was drafted right after Rodon, um, three and four picks, and uh, yeah, according to Rodon, he's he's ready. Um, but we'll see how that goes. I I don't want to rush him. Anyway, uh, what about in Kansas City, Jonathan? I think uh, actually the former number one overall pick of the Royals, uh, Luke Hochaver, mm-hmm. is a pretty interesting story this year. Uh, Luke obviously started his career uh, with a lot of troubles uh, as a starting pitcher. And uh, but then he switched to the bullpen, and he was super effective out of the bullpen. Uh, and and people uh, forget that coming into coming out of spring training last year, he was he was Wade Davis before Wade Davis was Wade Davis, mm-hmm. and just this shutdown setup guy. And uh, and then sure enough, he had to have Tommy John surgery, lost him for the year. And if you know, you can imagine that what that Royals bullpen would have been like last year. Uh, with it's already awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, so. I mean, they they could have been totally content with starters consistently yeah. going five innings because they had somebody they would have somebody for the sixth through ninth innings, uh, which would have been amazing. Uh, but uh, you know, he had the Tommy John surgery, and so now he's coming back. And uh, you know, it'll if he you know re uh, reinforces that bullpen because uh, they do have all the same guys uh, in that bullpen coming back. Uh, it'll be pretty intriguing if uh, you know he can get back to that status that he was at at the end of uh, 2013, and if uh, to put that together with the rest of that bullpen would would make it pretty pretty oh, yeah. intriguing. And and furthermore, it was brought up. Um, there's a, a Royals blog, Pine Tar Press, that uh, mentioned the idea if if he's really effective, uh, possibly trying him again as a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, he unfortunately he has the dubious distinction of of having one of the highest ERAs uh, in the history of so many uh, of starters with with enough starts, and it's like four or five almost. <laughs> so it's pretty awful. Surprised the organi- organization has stuck with him. They this. really did, and and a lot of people thought to a fault. Uh, yeah. And but sure enough, the move to the bullpen. He was he was di- you know pr- pretty dynamite in the bullpen, and. Um, so the idea of, of him maybe turning into a spot starter if they need him or uh, a number five starter, they, they signed him up for two more years. So uh, it was a good move to do that and, uh, you know, just kind of uh, take it as it comes and, and make a decision based on how he, how he performs over the next year and a half maybe. Yeah. Did um did Collins get hurt again? I think yeah. he did, right? Yeah, yeah he That's did. That's the little guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. he's... He, I don't know if it's Tommy John or not, but I think he's done for the year. Mm-hmm. So, man, if you had him too in your bullpen, when he was, you know, he 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 wasn't as critical for him uh, last year. Not to say he wasn't effective, but he wasn't as critical. Uh, sometimes he has some struggles with uh, uh, his uh, throwing strikes. Um, so, uh, but yeah, he's a little fireballer out there, man. Yeah, which to me, and I mentioned this in our last episode. To me, that just reassures me that the Royals are going to be pretty good again. I mean, if you got a bullpen that you know, like I mean, well, and, your starter, your starters yeah. get in trouble, you know, and and it's it's. I think Volquez is you know a question mark, and yeah, and uh, you know Guthrie, you know is is yeah. you know he's he, he's mediocre, you mm-hmm. know, occasionally good, mm-hmm. um, and then you know you've got you've got Duffy and Ventura leading it. I mean, yeah, if your bullpen gets in there, man, yeah. you guys, you guys want the best bullpens in baseball, if not yeah. the best, Yeah, you know? So I think you're going to be fine. I mean, well, yeah, I, it's I think crazy. people are really it's, underestimating the yeah. rules. It's like you guys somehow have gone in people's eyes from like world series contender to like sleeper team. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. 
and I, I, I think, I think the you know the offense maybe the, the offense might struggle again a little bit, but yeah, you're, you're, the pitching's going to be there again. You know, I you lost so. Shields, but the bullpen's still tight, and then yeah. you know Ventura and Duffy are just going to come into their own even more. So for yeah. me, the fear is the idea of a regression to the mean, and yeah. the idea that guys like Wade Davis or Greg Holland. You know, they they aren't going to be dominant forever. It's and, unlikely that Wade Davis know. will have, like, a Superman. Like, what was his ERA last year? Like, one point? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if it was north of one. But, I mean, the dude didn't give up. He was, up. like, below one for a little while. He, he didn't even give up an extra base hit until, I think, June or July. Jesus. Wow. Uh, so, and And, uh, yeah, he's I think he's north of 30 years old by now. And so... Uh, you, you hope he, he stays effective, and obviously a lot of pitchers have uh, into their later years. Uh, but it's just a natural, it's the way the game goes. You Sometimes the balls just don't bounce your way, uh, unless you're striking guys out, in which case you don't have to worry about it. Right. Good stuff, man. Good luck. Um, for me, on the White Sox, the guy that um, is the most intriguing to me is a, a young outfielder we have named Avasail Garcia, or Avi Garcia as people like to call him. Um, we got him from Detroit a couple of years ago in the three-way trade that I think involved PV to Boston as well. Um, I don't remember all the pieces to that. But, um, you know, he, he played a little bit for Detroit uh, in the outfield, and he's very athletic, still young. Um, you know, I, I, I think he's still only 22 or 23. And he was hurt most of last year. Um, he... Uh, he got a few at bats with the White Sox in late 13, got hurt about the first two weeks into the season last year, and then came back uh, around late August and, you know, was kind of inconsistent. But that's that's to be expected after you miss most of uh, the yeah. season and you're such a young player. So I've got my eyes on him, you know, like I think if like all the tools are there to sort of be the complete package, he can play great defense. Um, he's got speed. Uh, you know, he, he, he can hit, he's got a little bit of pop to him. Um, so if he can put it together, you know, um, I, he's going to be the guy that that's going to be the most intriguing for me. Um, hopefully anchoring, uh, a good, a good young outfield for us with, uh, with him Eaton, and then, you know, bringing in Melky Cabrera, who would be the veteran presence. What would so be I'm excited a, about our outfield. What's that? What would be a stat line uh, for him that you would be pretty stoked about by the yeah. end of the year? You know, like if he hit, um, if he hit like two seventy five, um, I would like to see that. You know, maybe maybe uh, fifteen homers, um, you know, seventy RBIs. Yeah. I think that would be fine. You know, for where he's at right now. Did you say if he has speed? He has. He has. He, I think he's got some speed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his. I'd have to look up the numbers. I don't have them in front of me, but um, he. Yeah, he's he, he's quick. Yeah, he he's he's like. Um, we put him in the two slot last year, but I think uh, Cabrera is going to be there this year. So I, he's, you know, he's been pushed down the uh, the order. He's probably going to, I don't know. My guess is he'll probably hit like seventh or eighth. But yeah, so he was he's number one on my my watch list um, because you know he kind of I, I think you know this year and next year are his years where he really needs to prove it, or you know they they might head in another direction. Sure. So. All right, so lots of players to watch. Um, a little music news. I want to move to that. Um, Levi posted um, 
a link among us and we'll we'll share it on our page too about this hollywood vampires project which the hollywood vampires are the famous drinking group um of harry nielsen alice cooper uh keith moon um uh you know john lennon uh mickey dolan that drank uh in la in the 70s and it turns out they're sort of resurrected the super or they've kind of resurrected the group now all of them geriatric and sober for the most part i think yeah alice cooper he doesn't he doesn't drink right no no, no. he's yeah. uh he quit drinking in the uh in the mid 80s okay. because he was he was he was pretty bad there. yeah they were like your liver is yeah to <laughs> explode. yeah yeah he is he was he was in really bad shape um prior to getting yeah. sober so yeah he got sober in the early to mid eighties and, and has been, been sober ever since, but he was, uh, he had pretty much Conan, the barbarian drinking powers in the seventies. Hey. Uh, <laughs> he quit drinking and found golf. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so Levi posted this link that, um, Alice Cooper and Joe Perry and, uh, also Johnny Depp is involved. Johnny Depp plays a little guitar, uh, and also Paul McCartney is is involved as well. Um, these guys are going to be are, they were recording a record, right, Levi? It says. Yeah, or, I mean um, that's what it says. Yeah. yeah, and they somehow got Paul to sing. Uh, if if you want it, here it is. Come and get it. Bad by Finger, Bad Finger the yeah. song he wrote for Badfinger. Yeah. Yeah. So that should be interesting, and they're going to tour as well. I doubt with McCartney. Um, I don't. I don't probably see McCartney not. probably going on the road. Uh, no. Them. I, I can I mean, see where would... they would do a, uh, you know, maybe a private or not a private LA gig, but a surprise LA gig. Yeah, where they, he would do the, that. Something at the whiskey or you know, yeah. Viper Room or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, I, I could see him showing up uh, at something like that. I mean, if he toured with them, they go, they go from playing probably theaters to arenas. You know, oh, if, for sure. If you add him on the bill, for sure. Um, but it'd be interesting to see. It sounds like it sounds like fun. You know, it sounds yeah. like uh, sounds like a bunch of dudes who I like having fun. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I think the idea generally of super groups is fun and I don't think, you know, you can't be too critical of it. Right. Uh, because you know that it's not going to be, you know, a fine, fine record by any means. And they are going to get really involved in the production of the album or anything. They're just going to like, you know, do the spur of the moment sort of thing and just, yeah. you know, try to keep the energy and uh, go out and do it. And and I think yeah, in the history of supergroups, uh, I think that's the right way to do it, especially yeah. where all of those guys are in their career right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, they're all. I mean, aside from Johnny Depp, that probably fifty is the you know yeah. is the is the child of the group. Right. You know, um, yeah. So going all the way up to what's McCarthy seventy two, seventy three, something like that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Perry At Perry's. Steve Joe Perry's got to be you know in his early sixties now, yeah. and Cooper's yeah. I think in his late sixties. So and so they said that they were uh, was the idea that they would be also doing songs from each of the members' repertoire. I don't know. I don't know. Um, they only they mentioned be... that one uh, yeah. Badfinger song right. that McCartney wrote, but uh, apparently, yeah, he never sings. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to do covers or originals. Probably, probably a little bit of both is my guess. Yeah. Um, well, and, and Levi posted that, and I. I remember that got me thinking about this this group called Kings of Chaos. Have you guys heard about like it's like a rotating cast <laughs> of players? Um, Kings of Chaos is um, they've they've played off and on for the last 
three years and kind of the permanent members or sort of the the permanent pieces of the group are some ex guns and roses members it's duff mckagan gilby clark matt sorum um and then the other kind of permanent fixtures have been Steve Stevens, who's uh, Billy Idol's guitarist, um, and then Robin Zander of Cheap Trick. Wow. And uh, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top has played with them as well. And I'll just I'm just going to read off just briefly some of the names that have played with them since April 2012. And they've played a lot in um, South America as well as some shows in South Africa. So I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to know kind of what the motivation behind this is, because it seems like this would be something that they would do. Like Jonathan mentioned a minute ago, like just kind of everybody, all those people probably live near L.A. You know, they, they would just they would get together on a Sunday night at the Whiskey or the Viper Room or the Roxy or something. And, and you know, just kind of jam and or maybe do something for charity, you know, something like that. These are all people who who have certainly made a good living playing music. But um they've toured a little bit too so i don't know if this is something they you know they would do for a long tour probably not because of their schedules but i'll just read a few of the people who also have been involved over the last three years um joe elliott def leppard uh gene simmons mike inez from allison chains um sebastian bach uh glenn hughes from uh from deep purple um few others here um brian may of queen wow um sammy hagar um and uh that's that's about it for the most parts um joe elliott for like i said from def leppard has shown up a few times and so is billy gibbons as well um but yeah the the three guys from from guns and roses um that's pretty cool uh, and robin zander and Steve Stevens have been, you know, kind of the permanent fixtures. Yeah, yeah. So pretty yeah, cool. Same. Yeah, yeah. If I, you know, if I saw those guys playing down the street, I would, I would get excited. <laughs> um, so anyway, so yeah. So those are kind of, those, they're kind of the, uh, the geriatric supergroups of right now. Um, that seems to be sort of a part-time thing, but nonetheless, it sounds like a lot of fun. Um, and we'll we'll post links to to about these groups uh, on on the web page as well. Last thing here in the leadoff session um, today is International Women's Day, so we want to salute all of the um, the female rockers out there. And uh, there's you know some women are making some really great you know they have for a long time and, and are making some really great music right now as well. So I just wanted to get our take on some of the female performers that we're digging on right now, or maybe we've dug on in the past. Um, Levi, what about you? Uh, who's who, um, what, what female artists do you think right now? Really? Uh, I think Susan Tedeschi yeah. is, is hitting it out of the park with Tedeschi trucks band. And, um, I just love their sound and, um, their vibe. It's a big sound. Yeah. And you know, the, I, I seem to always like bands where there's like 15 people on stage yeah, right? just because like you usually everybody's smiling and having a good time and that, that permeates to the audience. So the, uh, Susan Tedeschi right now, she's definitely got my vote. Cool. Right on. Good deal. Jonathan, yeah. what about you, man? Um, well, old and new, uh, I, I go through phases where I probably listen to more, uh, female vocalists and or songwriters than mm-hmm. I do male. And uh, and and a lot of that has to do with the 
music music that comes out of South America, uh, the okay. Tropicalia movement, or the the more contemporary uh, post Tropicalia movement. Uh, Rita Lee is a um, is a seventies uh, uh, singer that came out of Os, Os Mutantes and uh, put out uh, some phenomenal work in the seventies. And nowadays, I listen to uh, uh, Barbara Eugenia, and I, I may be butchering her name. Uh, and also uh, another uh, female singer-songwriter, Malu, uh, are awesome, awesome, uh, great songwriters. And really, uh, some of the structures of the songs, especially especially Barbara Eugenia, uh, is uh, awesome guitars and great production. Uh, the guitars that come out of South America sound really unique, and uh, the world's much better for it. Um, and also today, uh, uh, Gosling is, is a great uh, singer-songwriter out of Australia. I talk a lot about the dough uh, on here uh, from Europe, um, France uh, specifically. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think twice about it anymore. Sometimes you can. It can be sure. an exception to the rule where you're like, oh, yeah, it's a female singer. I forgot. And now it's just uh, it's almost a surprise when it isn't. Uh, well, that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, definitely. It's, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 It's uh, uh, forever indebted to the female rocker. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, um, you know, the, obviously the veteran names are are well established and those are usually the first ones to come to mind. Your heart, your runaways. Um uh, an act that I, I don't think they play anymore, but I was I was a big Donna's fan, and uh, I I wish I would have been able to see them. I I, I don't think they're active anymore. Right. Um, no, I don't think so either. But I think Turn Twenty One is is one of my um, is really one of my go to records. I still listen to it quite a bit. Uh, came out from two thousand one, and of newer acts, um, I caught this band opening for the Cult when I saw the Cult last um, August. There was a band, uh, I got there probably during their second or third tune, and they're called Electric Citizen. Uh, they're from the Cincinnati area, and a uh, female vocalist, and her husband is the guitarist. And it's like, I would describe it as sort of as like Ann Wilson fronting Black Sabbath. That's kind of the sound that they have. Right uh, it's, it's definitely... Um, it's definitely a Sabbath sound. You know, It's got a little bit of sludge to it, but her... Her vocals are are really, um, you know, she can really kind of give off a banshee cry sometimes. So I highly recommend them. Yeah, they're called Electric Citizen. Really good stuff. Uh, they haven't been together that long. They've only been together for about a year or two. So uh, already getting a little bit of buzz in their area, and then cool. you know, they open for the cult as well. Yeah. And then for me, um, I, I mentioned her when we did a recap of the best albums of last year. I, I really like Lana Del Rey a lot. Oh right, um, yeah, of course. Yeah, you know. Um, she put out one of the best records of last year and i think probably one of the most mature leaps from her first record to her second record so she's got me really excited about what she's going to do next yeah um yeah so i, I look yeah, forward to that Ooh. yeah she and actually that, that reminded me so good um yeah. uh janelle monet is oh yeah uh, yeah that's good uh, have, dude, we, have you heard her have you heard mm-hmm. janelle monet in, in oh, yeah, really man. In, yeah, and you, to yeah, watch it's yeah, it, yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah. trippy, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. God. I would love. I would kill to her, like for like a go back in time and have her play with Parliament or something. You know, would just <laughs> yeah. be yeah. would be the shit. And she's yeah, yeah she's, she's got great. Uh, such a stage presence too. If uh, mm-hmm. you got to look them up, on, I'll post a video on the on the uh, <clears throat> website. But 
her her act, and it's not just an act. I mean, she's a phenomenal singer, singer sure. songwriter. Yeah. But her stage presence is is quite uh, energetic. Absolutely. Good. So good stuff. Yeah. Good. Good stuff out there. Um, so we certainly salute all those artists and look forward to what they're going to do next. Let's get right into the heart of the order now. Um, we are going to talk about overpaid players and overproduced records. So when the team or the band lays it on a little too thick and uh, either maybe they overpay or they overthink or they overproduce. So we're here to talk about that. We'll talk about some baseball players as well as some albums uh, that we think got the uh, – too much production so i want to go we'll we'll, we'll go to baseball um because you know baseball is is probably i would say of the of the four major sports the one that um people generally associate with terrible contracts um and baseball's guaranteed money unlike some of the other sports where you know it's not guaranteed or just a you know a chunk of it is guaranteed so in baseball you're you know you sign that contract you're getting that cash um to me the 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 sort of the first guy that comes to mind you could call him sort of the pluto nash if you will um that's a a movie that if you haven't seen it's one of the biggest box office flops of all time um really uh one of the many blemishes on Eddie Murphy's recent track record. <laughs> anyway, um, the Pluto Nash of baseball would be Mike Hampton. Um, Mike Hampton, if you guys remember, uh, was a, a starting pitcher who had who in 1999, with, when he was with the Astros, uh, put together a 22-win season. He was 22-4, and four, which is a hell of a season. Um, so, you know, you put up a, a season like that, you're going to get rewarded with a lucrative contract. And he had just been in Houston a few years at that point. So, you know, he hadn't um, he, he was certainly on the rise, but, you know, he definitely broke out that year in 99 and won 22 games. So 22 and four, you know, he, uh, you know, all star second place Cy Young, um, uh, you know, got MVP votes that year. And then. The uh, he gets traded to the Mets the following year, and then the year after that he um, signs a very lucrative deal with the Colorado Rockies, which you know anytime you sign a big name pitcher in Colorado, yeah, you know that park, that yeah. park, home runs balls just fly out of that yeah. park. So I mean, you know any pitcher could really ruin his game if he goes to Colorado. So they gave him just a shitload of money in Colorado. Um, it was at the time it was signed in 2000. It was the largest contract in sports history. Wow, Mike Hampton. You know, <laughs> crazy. 15 years, 15 years ago, the largest contract in sports history. That is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Montana, Michael Jordan, LeBron. Or well, LeBron wasn't playing then, but you know, you know, all of these athletes that you know prior to 2000. Wow. No, Mike Hampton gets wow. the largest contract. Um. And so his first year, he goes 14 and 13 with an ERA over five. All right. So, yeah, not that great. But, um, you know, I don't think he there was much of a team in Colorado at that point. And then um, two years later, he's traded to the Marlins and then he goes to the Braves. And in the Braves, 
Um, he, I'll bring up his numbers here. Best year he had with the Braves was 2003 when he went 14 and eight. And then the next year he went 13 and nine. But during those years, you know, his ERA climbed and he didn't even play in 2006 and 2007. Yeah. Wow. So mind you guys, two years, and that's in the middle of the deal, you know? Mm-hmm. So two years, 2006, bringing up his salary info here. Yeah, um, and 2005, yeah. $15 million. 2008, yeah, $15 million. Yeah. 2006, 2007, he doesn't play. He gets $14.5 bucks for not throwing a pitch. Right. Because yeah. he was injured, right? Because he, he was injured. injured. And he was injured, yeah. yeah. So big deal, you know, I mean, he um, he uh, he was getting paid over 15 million all the way up until 2008. And by that point, you know, he wasn't effective. So he goes uh, he rounded out his career in Houston, tried to make a stab in Arizona, didn't make the team and then kind of quietly retired about four years ago. So I would say that Mike Hampton is probably the shittiest contract of all time in baseball now i will defend mike hampton in one fashion okay that is in 2001 for the rockies he hit seven home runs yes he could hit the dude the dude hit 290 so yeah yeah seven home runs up a little bit seven home runs and 86 at bats so yeah. <laughs> if you extrapolate that out oh, to why didn't he um, just go be a DH? <laughs> right, right. He could have hit. He could have hit thirty-five, forty-five home runs. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so he could hit. Yeah, the dude won a couple Silver Slugger awards. Yep. Uh, four in a row. Four Silver Slugger awards. So more known as a as a hitter well, than a pitcher. A yeah, five in a row. Yeah. Okay, so the dude could hit. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was a Zambrano type. When I think it came he was the first hitting. pitcher to win the Gold Glove and the Silver Slugger in the same year. All right, you're wow. making him sound good now. Wow. Um, he, he was worth he at least six million. Money. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, thirty million bucks, and you don't even pitch for two years. Yeah, and he, granted, tough. he was injured, oh, yeah. but that's but yeah. Um, so uh, so he comes to mind first. A couple other names I'll throw out there. You know, if if. Mike Hampton is the uh, the uh, the Pluto Nash of the baseball contract world. I think uh, Barry Zito is at least the water world, <laughs> and and then maybe you got Kevin Brown as the Godfather Part Three. <laughs> um, if we're going with movie analogies. You guys, what, what else do you guys got? I mean, who who are the overpaid guys that come to your mind? I mean, I, I mentioned those three pitchers, which I think within our lifetimes are probably, you know, some of the worst contracts. I mean, as a Cubs fan, I am just gifted with a large amount <laughs> to choose from. Like, it's yeah. a, a never-ending pool, Olympic size. And, um, <laughs> so I, we'll talk pitchers, and the first ones that all came to my mind were um, Latroy Hawkins. <laughs> we, gave that, we gave that chump three years and $11 million. And no, he never did anything. And um, pitcher named Dave Smith, who uh, this was at the time of uh, this would have been, I guess it would have been late '80s, early '90s. I don't know the the year, but we gave him four point nine million dollars for two Which is years. High for back then, it was more yeah. than what Mark Grace and Ryan Sandberg were making. 
Jeez. And you've never heard of the guy. Yeah. And uh, then after that was Danny Jackson. That was one of the worst uh, Cubs yeah. pickups ever. Yeah. Just for the fact that, like, he had been awesome, and he came to the Cubs and just sucked. We gave him, uh, what, we gave him $2.6 million for two years in a row, so almost five mil. Yeah. And uh, he was one in five, and then got injured and was out. Yeah, he was pretty good when he was with the Reds. I oh, yeah, this yeah. that was right when we picked him up, was like, at the peak of his being good on the Reds, we we got him, and he was awful. Right. And currently, we have Edwin Jackson, so that's that's one that we have that's still on the team. We yeah. gave we gave Ed, Edwin Jackson fifty two million dollars for four years. Yikes! Which is awful. Yeah, <laughs> anybody that's like played for like nine different teams uh, is oh, yeah. never a good sign. And oh yeah, Edwin you pull Jackson's up baseball reference, and it's like it's like Jersey, Jersey, the Jersey, 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 Jersey. Yes. <laughs> It's like, oh, that's not a pattern. That's really how many jerseys. <laughs> oh man, guys like a like a Phil Necro or something. Um, <laughs> what about uh, Alfonso? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Position players, yeah. So you've got Alfonso is probably he's he gets a lot of the the worst. People say that's the worst, but you got to remember we had Nomar, we had Jeff Blauser. We picked him up when he was supposed to be great from and the Braves, ended up being awful. Uh, Todd Hundley. Todd Hundley was supposed to be great, and he came to us and was awful. And then Fukudome. We gave Fukudome yeah. a ton of money, and he was awful. Dude, nobody dominated April like Fukudome. <laughs> <laughs> if right? you could just mimic, if you could just replicate that throughout right. Right? the rest of his yeah. every other month. Like well, he, had, I mean, he, he had yeah. the pitchers fooled the first like month of the season with the, I mean, with the swing. Yeah. I mean, Levi, prior to Epstein arriving... I mean, um, you know, a few years ago, what was holding you guys back was, you know, you were you were saddled with Soriano, Zambrano, and Ramirez all at the same time. Same time, yeah. You know, I mean, those were just three just albatross across your neck, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah Ramirez, strangely, has really produced well in Milwaukee. Um, so, um, Did he retire? Did I no, no, he's still playing. He's no, this starting. is his he's, last he's, year. This is his last year. Oh, yeah. oh okay. and I thought that I was interesting. Was... Yeah. Do you, Do you think that that's going to be awkward? Because obviously he's no Derek Jeter, and he's not going to get farewells <laughs> yeah. at every stadium. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> do you, Do you think Do you think though that there's an awkward moment where teams are like, do we Do we honor Aramis? <laughs> like he's like just enough to kind of maybe get it, but like he's not so big that he should. Yeah. Right. All the, P, all the PR people that like work in like Cincinnati and stuff are like, what do we do? You know, right. <laughs> yeah. Do you just maybe give him a cake in the clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, That's it. Right. That's yeah. it. Nothing on the give, field. Give certificate to Ruth's Chris in Cincinnati or something. <laughs> like, you know, right. In, in Pittsburgh, it'll be half off hot dogs the night they come to town. <laughs> I see what you did there. The guy, hey. the guy, the guy, the guy lost so much weight when he went to Milwaukee, you know, oh, he did. Must, have, must have avoided the sausage and beer in Milwaukee. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, you guys were just you guys were saddled with some bad contracts just a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and and I will say that is one thing Epstein and Hoyer and those guys have done. They have gotten rid of the bad contracts. Well, for your Most sake, brother, them. I hope. I mean, like obviously you you're entering into a very large contract right now. Oh yeah. And yeah. I, I, I listen. I, I hope oh, it pans yeah. out. The yeah. track record, yeah. knock on wood, shows me that it will. I mean, just just based on how many innings he's pitched. 
I mean, the guy overcame cancer. Oh yeah, well yeah, and, you know, I mean, I, and I'm and in the short amount of time he pitched this spring, so far he's been right. It was like he was in mid-season form. Well, and I, I think you went into the deal knowing that he's probably not going to have seven phenomenal years. If he has yeah. five, it's right. money well spent. It's worth it, yeah. Yeah, you know, if he has, shit, if he has four, it might be money well spent, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, if yeah. you guys reach if the World somehow Series, the Cubs win a World Series, well it was money well yeah. spent. Yeah, no one will care if you guys win the World Series. <laughs> yeah. Really, I, I, you know, when I was studying these contracts on Baseball Reference, it was interesting to see that a lot of these big contracts got unloaded with two years left on them, where mm-hmm. they they shipped the guy off to you know somebody like the Angels, who were like, yeah, we'll take Vernon Wells. Uh, and, Angels and the Yankees are not afraid to waste money, right? Um, and so I think that that's Dodgers. the mindset of of these teams when they're signing these seven year, hundred million dollar deals. Is you know the last two or three years are going to be somebody else's problem, yeah. And unless it's just something that you really can't ship, I, and wasn't that the issue with Soriano? They just couldn't find any takers for Soriano. Yeah, no. So the Yankees take yeah. all the money. Yeah. 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 Well, guys, I, I've got the um, I've got the top ten. I've got the you know the 2015 highest salaries now, mm-hmm. and good God, a lot of people make over 20 million dollars now. No, Looking yeah. at like over 30 players that make 20 million or more. Yeah, year, yeah, which is just crazy. Oh, yeah. um, but you know, right now, I would say that the guy who makes the most money, and when I say deserves it, first of all, nobody deserves the. Amount it's real. It's all relative. Player. It's all relative. So yeah. let's let's keep that in mind. But Clayton Kershaw makes $32 million a year. And if there's anybody who deserves it, it's that guy. I mean, because, like, at least, like, right now, the best player is the highest paid player. Yeah, Uh, in the regular season. In the regular season, yeah. And and I'm a big Clayton Kershaw fan, so I know he's he's got some postseason haters. He hasn't figured out that playoff thing yet. But but there's some bad ones in the top ten. I mean, Ryan Howard is set to make $25 million Mm -hmm. this year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cliff Lee. Wow, just got he just got hurt. Kid. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. set to make twenty five million bucks. Yeah. Wow. Um, trying to look at some other ones. Um, Pujols, twenty four million. And he was solid. Was, he was solid last year. He was solid, but there there's still seven years left on that. Yeah, deal. it's an awful contract. It's, it's a, a terrible stupid, contract. St- Cardinals were so smart to let him go. Oh yeah, uh, they got their series. They got their titles out of him, and they got their best years. His best years out of him. Yep. Um, another bad one, Sabathia at twenty three million. Mm-hmm. Wow. He's, he's because dang. he's yeah. I mean he's he's past he's past yeah. his prime. Yeah. Um, Joe Maurer twenty three million. Yeah, I know the average can still be there, but he didn't he didn't produce like like he should have after he signed this. Well, guy. and now that he's uh, I don't know how often he's playing at first base, but I know a lot uh, since oh, he's so had those concussions yeah. Uh, yeah. or other injuries. Uh, maybe I might be thinking of more now, uh, but now if you're playing first, your numbers are expected to be better uh, yeah. uh, when you're at first versus when you. If you're a catcher batting th- 310, 320, 330, winning batting titles with nine home runs and you know 70, 80 RBI, that that's cool. That's not good for a first baseman. Yeah, no, you know, absolutely not. Um, Jason Worth is on that list. He's going to yeah. make twenty one million. It says. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Some, Who, I'll some... give him this. He 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 turned it around. You know. I mean, he oh, looked yeah. he looked terrible those first two years in Washington. Yeah. Oh yeah. But um, you know, the dudes turned it around. 
particularly for his age. Was he like 37, something like that? Is he really? Uh, No, he's, I want to say, only two or three years older than me, and I'll be, well, maybe he is 37. Wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah, because he got that late start. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, the I think major, there's. So. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think I think there's only a couple years left on that deal. Yeah. Right. Uh, 2017. Yep. Okay. Well, and I mean, granted, you know, he he could be awesome again this year, or he could he's completely 35, fall apart. It says. He's 35. Yeah. So for guys playing in the outfield every day, you know, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of go down the list. Um, Carl Crawford, terrible contract. Yep. Um. Still, I think still quite a few years left on that deal oh, as yeah. well. Um, oh, Jesus yeah, Christ. Um, <laughs> who, uh, to, uh, oh, okay. I was thinking of somebody else. Uh, C.J. Wilson, bad contract. Yep, yeah, Angels. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you guys think the, the Scherzer deal could turn out to be bad? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, the, he's, he's what, 30? Yeah, he's 31, I think. So... Uh, yeah, you're hoping for a, f- a few more dynamite years after that. It's yeah, not going to be good. I mean, or on, it's not on the White Sox, yeah, on the White Sox right now, really, we only have one bad contract, and I'd say that's John Danks at 50, at close to 16 million a year. Yeah, for a guy who might be our number five starter this year, yeah. our highest paid player might be number five in the rotation. Wow. Um, and you know. The Cubs, you know, it's all too soon. You know, Lester, obviously, it's a big investment, um, but, you know, it could pan out. And the Royals, you know, are never really major players in the free agent market. So right. they haven't really had the chance to reward a lot of bad contracts. We're, we're still gun-shy since we snagged Jose Guillen right. Uh, right. For, for a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he... Uh, um, he was uh, here in 12 million a year here for a few years and he hit about maybe 30 home runs during that time, uh, yeah. over all that time. Um, you know, Josh Hamilton, you know, recent struggles. I like the guy, but, um, you know, he's, he's third highest pet paid player at 25.4 mil this yeah. year. Yeah. You know, for a guy that certainly hasn't produced like people, thought he would in in anaheim um i don't know if looking down the list to me pujols is the worst contract just due to the amount of years that are left even though he you know did start to turn it around a little bit last year um to me that's the worst contract just because you got you got seven years of that guy still if if you had uh so going through these uh top top total contracts that are active um you got Giancarlo, Stanton, number one. A-Rod, forget about him, uh, number two. Um, uh, yeah, Giancarlo Stanton's going to be good for about eight more, nine more years, though. Yeah, you hope so. I, would, and, I, would and, I mean, unless he takes another one to the more. noggin. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, $325 million. So if, if you no, could no, pick... no, it's stupid money, but he's he's pretty yeah. awesome. So if you could choose between Stanton, Cabrera's number, Miguel Cabrera's number four, we'll skip Pujols. Robinson Cano is right there with Pujols, uh, or Kershaw. It goes, yeah, it's Stanton, Cabrera, Cano, Votto, and Kershaw. Who, who would you take, and who would you not take? That's tough. It is. Um, I mean, my gut says take Kershaw, but then right away I want to say Cano too because I've always liked his consistency. Yeah, 
Yeah, he is. I remember like it was like MVP 2005 or whatever. I would I would put Cano like I would trade him to the Cubs <laughs> just because I liked him that much. He Seems like he's been in the league forever. Forever. You know? right? and he's, I think he's only 31, 32. Yeah. Um, Didn't you know, he, he replace Soriano at second base when when Soria after Soriano's first stint with the Yankees? Yeah, yeah. And when Soriano got traded for a Rod. Yeah, right. So the Rangers, Cano took Soriano's place in a second. Yeah. yeah, around like, uh, I don't know, 04, something like that, maybe 03. 03 yeah. yeah. You know, Levi, I would be hesitant. To, I, I like Cano, too. Um, I would be hesitant to choose Cano just based on the number of years that are yeah, left. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's like, if you include this upcoming season, you're looking at paying the guy for nine years. Yeah. And he's already 31, 32. Yeah. Yeah. You know, second baseman as well. You know, second baseman's got to break down sometime in his mid-30s, you know. Um, I could be wrong. You know, For me, it, it's Kershaw just because he's so dominant, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, even if the playoff thing's not there, my, my close second would be Stanton. Um, yeah, yeah. Just due to his age. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So... Good stuff, guys. Um, you know, the White Sox, I just before I wrap it up here and we move on to, to talking about some music, um, really, I'd, I'd say the riskiest thing the White Sox did maybe in the offseason wasn't even that risky. Is they, they signed a reliever to a lucrative four-year contract, David Robertson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's always risky to pay. I think, you know, he's going to get about $12 million a year, I think. Um, you know, that's unless you're you know Dennis Eckersley or Mariano Rivera that's that can be risky and he only has one he only had one year as a full-time closer under his belt um but I don't know it's still only four years you know it's nothing nothing like some of these just ridiculous 10-year deals like we just talked about so no yeah yeah not not and yeah. you say he's gonna be a middle reliever or a closer he's our closer closer yeah, okay. he's our closer yeah I mean he saved 40 games last year yeah. in the Yankees so yeah yeah. Um, or just about 40 games. So if we can get him out there, I'm, I'm sure he'll be fine. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, moving on, though, let's talk about um, production values for albums. Overpaying for albums. Yes, overpaying for albums, right? Maybe overthinking, overpaying, overpro- overproduced work. Um, I've got two things I want to talk about. I'm going to give one example, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about reconsidering some overproduction. Um, but uh, Levi, can we start with you, man? What if we look at what um, what are what are some acts that you like, but maybe they produce they they thought too much about a record, or maybe put too much production? I mean, uh, wait, sh- should we establish a definition of what it means to overproduce? Yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, what would you? Hmm. Um. Yeah, I think uh, some of it, first of all, just has to do with time investment. Yeah. Um, You know, it can drag on forever. Um, Secondly, just, you know, balls to the wall noise and not in like a punk way. (laughs) Right. Um, uh, And then, you know, uh, really, obviously, auto-tune, vocals. um, uh, Those are uh, a few of the aspects for me. So something that's too, that's maybe too busy right for mm-hmm. the adjective i'd use mm-hmm. um or maybe while certainly layered is a term that you know people use to describe albums quite a yeah. bit 
Yeah. I guess maybe av- having too many layers, um, you know. And, and I think, like, Let It Be could be yeah. an example of that, because then they released the naked... They released the, yeah. the naked one. Well, naked yeah, the, the first one that I was going to say was the Pearl Jam. They just redid with the Pearl Jam 10, where yeah. they re-released it yeah. with the Brendan O'Brien, uh, the Redux mix. Yeah. I just got that, and so I was just comparing that. And I... I kind of like the overproduced version a little better. Oh, yeah. I, you know what I mean? I, after I and I don't know if it is just because I've heard those songs that way so many times mm-hmm. that the, the the little bit more stripped down versions. I just I enjoyed hearing them, but to me that album will always be that produced sound. Yeah, and, yeah, and especially with the vocals, that was you know when I put that on the the uh, the uh, Brennan O'Brien mix. I was like, well, it's so rare when you can actually hear a remix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I can just kind of put it on in the background and start listening. And you know right away. Right away, yeah. It's because those vocals don't have nearly as much reverb yeah. as they did on, yeah. in the original version, uh, in the 91 version. And, uh, yeah, it's it's jarring. Uh, like you said, Levi, it's, you know, you hear those previous, uh, the original version, thousands of times. Yeah. Um, it <laughs> yeah. can be jarring. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to have to go back and like listen to it more and more to try and get used to it, but mm-hmm. um and to make a more to make, you know, a, a better opinion of it. Um I would have liked to maybe seen some Guns N' Roses not produced so much. And I I think it would have maybe helped with them like getting records out to the market sooner as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they t- they, t- they only took about 15 years to release one of them. Cuz um, yeah, I it, but a lot user of their... illusions are a lot of. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people, um, a lot of people say the user illusions are overproduced. Yeah, yeah. They, there's yeah. a ton of things going on. Yeah, yeah. It's like it was like definitely Axel's moment where Elton John was like his biggest influence. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's so much piano on that record on those two records. Well, no, he for... was, he's the king of modern day tracks. All new artists are like tracks. I need tracks. We yeah. gotta have tracks. There's gotta right. be so many tracks in the background. Yeah, and Pro Tools. Yeah, it accommodates so, as many as yeah. you need. Yeah, and it, so he was like the the godfather of tracks. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. funny. <laughs> the godfather of tracks. Well, and that's how it is. Like, we'll we'll I in in my line of work as a stagehand, we'll yeah. do we'll do shows, and it's like you know it'll be a three or four piece band, but they got. 50 tracks going you know during the whole show that they're playing along with that the drummer triggers and right it's like you know so you know. from your perspective how is that why is it more enjoyable to to have uh, fewer fewer tracks um when you're getting that set up i don't know i think it just leads it makes stuff too busy i think sometimes like you certain songs i think just to get to a heart of a song, you've got to strip away some of the layers. Yeah. And if you have just piles of stuff on top of it, just because I like sleigh bells, like anybody likes sleigh bells, but just they need to be <laughs> on your song along with like the cello and all this other stuff. And does it all need to be layered in reverb? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like delays and choruses. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on the contrary, you look at like Floyd's albums, which have a lot of production and yeah. Works, you it, know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. no, it, there's a time and a place for it. Yeah, like I, Def Leppard Hysteria is a, they wasted years producing that record, but I still think it it 
still sounds good. I mean, it Such sounds overproduced. Mutt yeah. Lang. They got a. They got one of the big guns in Mutt oh, Lang. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. your Mutt Langs, your Bop Rocks. Oh, yeah. You know, those are the. Oh, yeah. Those are the guys that are like. Like you want to fuck big. yourself forty million records or not? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mutt Lang is like the guy that are like it's not working. Come on, get down here, Mutt, right now. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that, you you know, you brought up Guns N' Roses and Jonathan and I were talking earlier and he mentioned Chinese Democracy. Um, yeah. One of the albums that and I won't belabor this point because we could talk about Chinese Democracy all night. Um, it's almost impossible to say whether that album is whether it, it was a success, you know, I mean, it, right. it, it, it sales wise, it wasn't, but shit from the time he started recording it in 1993 
that that's probably one of the most overproduced records of all time chinese democracy just in terms of years and personnel and money money god Mm -hmm. you know um you know one the the one that comes to mind that you know a, a band that all of us love um uh, this was bound to come up. By your side is 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 terribly oh. produced. The Black Crow is by your side. Yes. Yes. Awful. Even if it has a handful of good songs on it, which it does have a small handful of good songs, mm-hmm. the production value is on it. He'll never listen to this podcast probably, but Kevin Shirley, if you're listening to it, thank you for for allowing my favorite band to put out a terrible piece of terrible album. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Bad. The album, the, you know, the the production values on that they made it sound like a like a late '90s Aerosmith record is what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah, and he worked yeah. with Aerosmith too. So, <laughs> yeah. So to me, that's like you know the, that's the one like nearest to my heart in terms yeah. of overproduction. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because like, I've never really had a problem with any of Pearl Jam's production. You know? <laughs> I mean, it just. No. It, it's it's been different and but it's still been consistent so but by your side is the one that really the one that really broke my heart <laughs> in terms of production um yeah, yeah like you, you know, it's... i you know i was i was thinking about this from a different angle as well and the idea of uh some bands uh whether it be like uh, war on drugs or uh bell and sebastian uh, you know, they, they come out and they have a really kind of low-fi production value. Yeah. So the opposite of being overproduced is this low-fi, mm-hmm. a lot fewer tracks, um, a lot fewer uh, effects, and uh, a lot less budget. And uh, I think there are, there are some people who say, oh, you know, with, these, with some of the indie bands, they say, oh, I love the first two albums, and then it just kind of got too polished after that. And I think that there's a difference, though, between... Uh, uh, going lo-fi and then just having more of a budget to make it sound like you want it to sound like. Because right. the War on Drugs is a case in point. Where in yeah, they're getting a lot of recognition. Uh, so I, I won't claim that they aren't. But in their last two records, are the production value is phenomenal and kind of gave them the sound that they didn't otherwise have on the first uh, on Wagon Wheel Blues uh, and. Uh, and so there's a lot to be said for actually having a bit more time and money, and I don't know how much more they may have had, but it's obvious that that there is something to be said for devoting a bit more time uh, uh, to it and and putting out a record that really fulfills your vision and knowing what your vision is. And maybe Axel, in his case, he didn't really know what his vision quite Probably. was. Probably not. Uh, but I have no idea, obviously. And so the same with Bell and Sebastian, where... You know, indie darlings, totally lo-fi, the first few albums. And then, you know, the last record is is almost like ABBA at times. And <laughs> But it's it's great. I mean, I, I really enjoy it because I feel like it fulfills their vision that was pretty distinct. Well, I think what you're describing is there's evolving and then there's overproduction. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? It can be a fine uh, line. Yeah, yeah. And, I don't know, it's like... Um it can be a good thing too. I mean, it's like a, it's like a filmmaker, you know, you're like an independent filmmaker and you finally get some money and you can make the movie you right. want to make, you right. know, finally that you, cause you've got more resources at mm-hmm. your disposal. You can go shoot that scene in that area. You couldn't access earlier, or do things in post-production that you couldn't do, you know, right. with, mm-hmm. with the budget you used to have. So good stuff, yeah. guys. All right. Well, um, we'll continue this discussion online about overproduction. You can, Check out our website, rockchew.com, 
or you can follow us on Twitter at Rock in Chew. Also on Instagram at the same handle, Rock in Chew. Or like us on Facebook and we can talk about all these things there. So what we want to do now is we get to the portion of the evening where we wrap things up and we talk about some new music we've been listening to. Or it could be old music, but maybe it's new to our ears. Something that sort of tickled our fancies lately. Um, so I've I'm going to go ahead. What's I've up? got one I think that parlays perfectly into our talk about production. Let it rip, man. And I just picked it up this week, and it's Mark Ronson's new record. It's called Uptown Special. Nice. And he's got Stevie Wonder on here, uh, Bruno Mars, a bunch of different other vocalists, and part of it has a little bit of Steely Dan type of production to some of the songs. Mm-hmm. Some of it has... a. Uh, Prince, Morris Day in the Time type of production to the songs. Obviously, there's Stevie Wonder type production to the song. That There's actually two songs, I believe, that he is on. And um, I I got oh, recommended... Stevie Wonder plays on it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. And so I would gotten recommended this album by somebody, and they were like, listen to the Uptown Funk song with mm-hmm. Bruno Mars. So I did, and I was like, yeah, it's pretty cool. And they were like, well, the rest of the album is supposed to be good as well. And when they said it, part of it was produced with Steely Dan qualities, I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. And so I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. It's really good. Um, I would recommend it. Uh, the Stevie Wonder song is the first one on the album called Uptown's First Finale. Uh, the Uptown Funk song with Bruno Mars is all over the radio. You can't miss it. Um, there's a song on here called In Case of Fire that uh, I don't even know how to explain. It's got almost like a glam sound, maybe. David Bowie. Uh, hmm. Yeah, it's it's cool. the record's all over the place. So, yeah, check it out. Yeah, I've got a, I've got it in my I, I've got it in my queue. It's uh, it's going to make its way up the list. Um yeah, man, uh, it uh, it's getting a lot of buzz, certainly as well. So good, good selection. So yeah, Art Bronson, I guess right now it is on limited edition uh, clear yellow vinyl. Ooh, so nice. uh, that's pretty. Yeah, pick it up while it's out, and I think in a month or two, maybe April, it'll be on regular black vinyl. Then is that that, that clear yellow looks like a made by Rollerblade Company? <laughs> <Right>? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So mine, uh, and, and harking back to International Women's Day, is a duo, I believe, from New York. Uh, released a couple albums called Colts. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That's good. This one. album's from 2013. This album's called mm-hmm. Static. Uh, it's a, uh, a guy and a girl, and they. Uh, uh, it's it's rock and roll, uh, lo-fi produced, but great production. And uh, more of a 50s, 60s songwriting style to it all, to the songs. And their, their first album I've, I've had in my car, uh, I have two blown speakers in my car. And uh, so not a lot sounds good in yeah, that. right. <laughs> and uh, so uh, it, I've had their first record in my car since October because it sounds good in there. And just playing over and over again. And I, I don't get tired of it. So uh, check out Colts. Cool. Cool. Yeah, good stuff, man. I've uh, I that record that you held up. I, I remember hearing that when it came out and and, and um, really digging it. So good stuff. Um, you know, my recommendation um, comes from a little bit of an unlikely source, just in the sense that I I 
admit I've kind of always respected what the dude's done just because he's sort of, you know, always upset the Jesse Helms of the world. Um, but Marilyn Manson's record that came out earlier this year, The Pale Emperor, um, you know, don't dismiss it just because it's Marilyn Manson. This record is is surprisingly really good. Um, it's one of my favorites of the year. You know, obviously the year is pretty young still mm-hmm. so far. Um, you know, he's his albums from, you know, the 90s sort of. Oh, I don't know. I guess he sort of had a, a sound that was, I don't know, dark, for lack of a better term. And he but he's always sort of had kind of a glam influence mm-hmm. to him as yeah. well. And uh, he's even got on this album a little bit even of kind of like a lounge act influence to him as hmm. as, as 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 well. Um, and it's you know, it's really catching a lot of people off guard because it kind of changes what you think about Marilyn Manson hmm. uh, and his music. And I've while I've never really been into the guy's music, I've like I said earlier, I've you know, I've always kind of the guys never bothered me. I always found the whole shtick kind of funny. Um, but uh, the Pale Emperor, check it out. It's 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 really good. Um, you know, some of the tracks are a little Should longer on it. Um, comes in at ten tracks as well, so it's not um, you know it's, it's concise number of tracks, but a lot of the tunes are over five minutes, hmm. six minutes. So uh, yeah, check it out. Um, I, I'd, I'd be curious to hear what both of you guys said about it. Just you know, since. None of us are like rabid Marilyn Manson fans. Yeah, I would, I would, yeah. I would give I'll it a listen it with the idea that I, I never listened to his stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, before, other than yeah. what I heard, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the background. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's it's just a really pleasant surprise, um, and one from kind of one of the least likely of sources. So, Ooh. so check it out. So we got some good stuff there. Uh, Mark Ronson, Colts, and Marilyn Manson. We'll uh, post links, videos to all of those artists as well at our website, rockchew.com. Again, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rockin, that's letter N as in Nancy Chu. Um, And you can also like our Facebook page where we keep the conversation going. If you do listen to us on iTunes, please give us a good review to sort of increase our iTunes clout, Um, helps us get some attention there. And uh, we will continue this on all of those places that I just mentioned. Hope to uh, see everybody again real soon for episode number 22. And 21. 21. I'm oh, sorry. I'm well, sorry. This was 21. 22 is next. 22 yes, is next. 22's next. I apologize. You we will correct. get to 22. All right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, on that note, have a good night, fellas. And uh, everybody out there, sleep tight and take care. <laughs>